Welcome to the Spring Forth Podcast, a ministry of the First Congregational Church of McGregor, Iowa. This recording was made on March 14th, 2021, the fourth Sunday of Lent. Good morning. Our call to worship comes to us from Psalm 107, selected verses. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, and his mercy endures forever. Let all those whom the Lord has redeemed proclaim that he has redeemed them from the hand of the foe. He gathered them out of the lands, from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. They were some fools and took to rebellious ways. They were afflicted because of their sins. They abhorred all manner of food and drew near to death's door. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He sent forth his word and healed them and saved them from the grave. Let them give thanks to the Lord for his mercy and the wonders for what he does for his children. Let them offer a sacrifice of thanksgiving and tell of acts with shouts of joy. We continue our, this morning Mary came in, had a stack of egg cartons, and I said, yes, that's right, we are still collecting egg cartons for the food shelf. So if you have egg cartons that you would, lying about at your house that are otherwise just in your way, please bring them to the church and we can use those for the food shelf as they get their spring collection of of eggs I need a home for those places. So we're still receiving. Is there anything else, Mary, in particular that the food shelf needs? Okay. Any other announcements or concerns, highlights? All right, then. Then let us pray. Gracious Father, whose blessed Son, Jesus Christ, came down from heaven to be the true head, which gives life to the world. Evermore give us this bread, that he may live in us, and that we live in him, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We are pleased to have Jackie with us today, bringing us song. So, Jackie, the floor is yours.
Today we continue on with our exploration of the covenantal reaction interaction that God is having with the people of Israel. We have moved through Noah and the flood, Abraham and Sarah. Last week we had an exploration on the Ten Commandments set forth in Exodus chapter 20. And today we have a reading from the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 4 through 9. And in this interaction, we have the people who are well on their way. They're in the journey during the Exodus. But there's having some, some dissatisfaction. They, they're having what I would call traveler's malaise. We've all been there at some point when we're in between the two places, the place where we left and the place where we're going. And it's in that time in transit that we start to lose our composure. We start to get irascible. We start to find things that are wrong. I mean, there may legitimately actually be things that are wrong, but we find other things which are not as much of a problem and we make them a problem. And that's what's happening in this passage today, that the people are beginning to become dissatisfied with the journey, the time that it's taking, the provisions along the way, and nothing's good enough for them. So they turn and they complain against Moses and against God. And then this, this thing happens for which everyone is, learns from it. So let us receive this reading from Numbers 21, 4 through 9, and explore how God is dealing with an otherwise troublesome disagreeable people. From Mount Hor they set out by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. But the people became impatient on the way. People spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die here in the wilderness? There is no food, no water, and we detest this miserable food. Then the Lord sent poisonous serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many of the Israelites died. People came to Moses and said, We have sinned, speaking against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord to take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and the Lord said to Moses, Make a poisonous serpent, set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten shall look at it and live. Moses made a serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And when the serpent bit someone, that person would look at the serpent of bronze and live. May the Lord bless the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Let us pray. Loving and most merciful God, giving you thanks for this day that you have created, the opportunities that you have set forth, and a day that is only beginning to unfold. We thank you once again for these scriptures that are placed before us, if not on a Sunday, at least every day. And in them, we see a reflection of ourselves at various points and times in our life. We see our likeness in these individuals. Sometimes we don't want to see our likeness because what we are reading about, what we are learning, is so unpleasant that we would not want to equate ourselves with these unpleasant individuals. But 
it is for the sake of your grace that we find our instruction and have to learn from these tough lessons. So we thank you for allowing us to not look away, to not close the book or to change the chapter and to move to some happier story, but to deal with the text as it's presented and to deal with ourselves as we are presently living. That together, perhaps in this intersection, we may discover a better way to live. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be an offering to you. May you bless, keep, and guide us now and always in Jesus' name. Amen. So this doesn't seem much like a covenantal promise initially at first. But let's take a look at these individuals who... Well, let's just take a look at what's going on here. We've got individuals who are set out on this long journey, right? It's a, it's a, it's a lengthy journey, and... You can imagine we have to take from ourselves an instance in which we have been travelers. Any of us who have ever had the moving experience, we've, well, the Rouse recently have had a moving experience. Who knows? Maybe you might even still have some items that are still yet to find their, their new home. Yes, Millie, Millie's agreeing. Actually, Bob is affirming as well. They're like, yes, yes, don't use us too much as a sermon example. Move on. <laughs> so I will. But in that sense, any of us who have ever been in transit, we understand the difficulties and the annoyances of being in transit. First of all, there's just assessing where you are coming from and being able to determine what actually does need to move, what does need to go. And then you're making that trek. But these individuals are going to a place that they've never been to before. They're going to a place that's been fashioned in their mind as a land flowing with milk and honey, a land that God has proposed to give them, a land that's going to fulfill their every promise, and it's going to be the space where they can truly be at peace, free to worship God, this God who has done wonders for them. But they are not there yet. And it's in the not being there yet that they start to question if they're ever going to get there. They start to think that perhaps maybe this destination is just but a figment and that we're going to be wandering around in this desert existence for perpetuity. We will never quite reach where we're going and we will always be a nomadic people and that's just not good for them. So even though we are many, many chapters removed from that initial Ten Commandments that was given to the people and a whole list of laws of things that will strengthen that relationship that the people are supposed to have with God and with one another, they've just grown weary. And I suppose that there's some aspect of that that we can relate with, just growing weary of something that has gone on longer than we had hoped, longer than any of us had anticipated, and it's gone on so long that it's actually changed our disposition. We, at the beginning of the conquest, at the beginning of the endeavor, we were in good spirits. We're a resourceful people. We can assimilate. We will make it through. You know, and then time plods on a little bit, and you realize that there doesn't seem to be any immediate end in sight. And you start to kind of pick away at your own tenacity. Your own drive, your own zeal seems to erode. And you think, maybe, maybe I'm not going to make it. And what happens when we 
I feel like there's a dream that's deferred, a dream that will never be grasped by us, is we have to find something that's wrong. We, we fall into complaint mode. We fall into unpleasantness. And this happens every time we are delayed. So these individuals here that we are reading about in Numbers, they're no different from us. They turn and they complain against God and they complain against Moses. They have lost sight of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is that God has saved them from slavery. They were slaves. They were not even in their own homeland. They were working in the household of Pharaoh. Life was beyond unpleasant. There was no quality of life. They did not have freedom of movement. They had no agency of their own. They were simply means to an end. Pharaoh wants new structures. You're going to build it. And we will set your hours, and we will set the tone of your day. And you don't get vacation, and you don't get uh, opportunities to go and, and to relax at the end of the day. You, you'll get meager accommodations and meager food, and you will work for us. And if we choose to beat you and kill you, well, that's just the breaks because we're the dominant force. That's what they came from. Okay, they, they, they left slavery. So now they've been traveling in the wilderness. Now, there's some unpleasant in the, in the wilderness. You know, you've got to set up tents. You have to go and you have to hunt for food and you've got to hunt and gather and you've got to sort of live in dusty, uh, dry conditions. You don't really have a true home. You're not a slave anymore, but you're not quite at peace. It's life on the road. Not great, but better than slavery, by far. You do have your own agency. You are with your own people. And God is stretching out before you and saying, this will in some time come to an end. Be patient. Stay with me. We'll reach our destination. But the folks are looking at the immediacy of their surroundings, the immediacy of their condition. They're looking at the, the, the dry heat the lack of water, the miserable food. And they said, this, this is just not working out. God, Moses, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Now, now this, this is serious talk here. These people would rather actually go back to Egypt, go back to their enslavement, go back to perhaps maybe even their own detriment because the wilderness has wormed its way into their minds. This trek never seems to end. Moses seems to have lost his direction. God has seemed to abandon them to such a degree to where they would actually wish upon themselves enslavement again. Slave mentality. It seems like such a passing verse because it reads so quickly, but listen to their complaining. There's no food, there's no water. We detest this miserable food. In other passages, they say, when we were in Egypt, we had flesh pots to eat, meat to spare. And they didn't mention what kind of meat it was. It wasn't like some top sirloin, but it was, it was meat of a kind, probably goat. And it was good enough for them. Now they're feeling like, we don't, we don't even have that. We had better accommodations when we were slaves. Now, God is hearing this. Moses is hearing it as well, but he's like, what can I do with these people? They're always complaining about something. If it's not this, it's something else. So Moses is, is, is 
he's too through with them because he's like, what, you, you think I'm not hurting? You think I don't have my own concerns, my own desires? You don't think I want out of this dryness? I want out of it as well, but God has sent me as leader over you people, so I, I got to try to, I have to try to be the mortar between these two bricks. But God is hearing all this complaint and says, you know, fed up. Fed up with these individuals. They don't, they don't, they don't get what I'm trying to do here. They don't understand that they show no appreciation. They have no love for me. So it says that the Lord then sent poisonous serpents among the people. Just manifested. Poisonous serpents just hatched out from underneath rocks and bit them. Bit them on their heel and people died. Venomous snakes taking over, overrunning the place. You can imagine there's a sizable amount of people. So we don't know how many people actually perished in this little stunt of theirs, this little complaint stunt, but it was enough to get their attention. And they realized the gravity of their sin. They realized that they spoke against God. They spoke out of turn. They complained, but they allowed their complaints to carry them away to an irrational point. And so they turned back to God. They turned back to Moses. Now, now all of a sudden, there was nothing wrong with Moses anymore. Now they needed Moses. Moses, say something to God. You're, you're in tight with God. Uh, you, you say something. You put in some good words for us because we realize that we have sinned against God and do something about, about these serpents because we're in a bad way here. So Moses indeed does intercede on behalf of the people and says, okay, you've got their attention now. What do you want me to do? We want you to take away the serpents. God's like, I'm not going to take away the serpents, but here's what I will do. I will give you, I will give you an emblem, a sign. We, we now know the, the sign is the caduceus. It's used in medicine. It's the medical image of a serpent, two serpents, I believe, coiled around a, a stake. It comes here from, from, from numbers. And Moses fashions this bronze serpent. I mean, some quick smelting. <laughs> quick fashion it together. And God says, anyone who is bit by one of these serpents, if they look upon this bronze serpent, they look upon this symbol that I have created, they will not die. They will look upon it and they will live. Again, this is God basically saying, you want something from me, but you must need to meet me halfway. I won't remove the serpents. As quickly as they emerge, I will not remove them. Of course I could. But what I want is obedience. I want a response. I want, I want a little gratitude. So here's what I will do. I will give you an image that you will look upon. If you look upon that image, that you will live. This is once again, now this is not to be confused with a graven image because God says, make no graven image of me. The, the image itself is not of God. It is a request by God to look upon an item that God has set before you as a reminder of where your help, where your strength, where your vitality comes from. The Kedusa is not God. It becomes an image and a sign of God's love. Now we might ask ourselves, well, why should God bother to love these people? It's obvious that they're unwilling to work with God. This is not the first time that they've complained. It will not be the last time. There's many more complaints between the time that they left Egypt to the time that they actually arrive in Canaan. But God has pledged the covenant to these individuals, promised that to Abraham, 
I will make you a father of a vast nation and they will become my blessed people. And even though they complain and, and, and sin against me, I will preserve them because that's what I said I would do. I promised no, I would never take again human life from a flood or any other sort of destruction. Didn't say anything about not sending serpents on the occasion when it's needed. But I will still provide for them a sense of quality of life. Now I have no immediate parallels between these individuals caught in the wilderness and their manufactured grievance. I suppose what I implore each and every one of you to do is to think about your own present condition in the times in which we too have been a foolish people when we have realized that what we have been delivered from was far greater detriment than what, where we are currently are. And wherever we currently are right now, it might be viewed as miserable, it might be viewed as unpleasant, it might be viewed as something that we don't want. There's a talk in our time and age about a return to normalcy. But what's so interesting is that if we had had this conversation two, three years ago and says, what you are dealing with right now is normalcy, we might have questioned that and says, no, this doesn't feel very normal to me. Right? If you just take the whole illness and pandemic out of it, the whole political malaise out of it, and said, your life as it is right now, we, we would call that normal. I, I think that we would have questioned that three years ago. We said, I don't know, this doesn't feel very normal. See, so we kid ourselves into thinking that somehow there was some aspect of our lives that was better than when we currently are. This is what these individuals are saying to themselves. They were like, you know, when we were slaves in Egypt, we didn't like it, but, but now compared to this, this, this sort of uh, indecision in the wilderness, slavery wasn't so bad. What are you saying? What are you saying? You're going to try to equate Life in slavery is better than being free and, and, and living in a pitched tent. But you were on your way to, to the land of glory. You were on your way to the place where God has fashioned for you. you. You're not, you might have miserable food, but you're not hungry. You might have to live in a tent, but you still have a roof over your head. You might be surrounded by other individuals who, who are equally uh, tired and weary and played out, but they are your own people. Do you really want to go back in, the, in the, the land of the oppressor? So there's a foolish talk here because now they're trying to normalize their enslavement and trying to say our time in Egypt wasn't so bad. It's almost as if if this were played out in a modern context, people would be getting out Polaroids and saying, oh, remember that time I got five lashes because I, I, I messed up the bricks and I didn't do the bricks right. I had to make them without straw. And good days. Those are good days. The rest of us would be like pulling our hair out saying, you're talking crazy talk. Those were not good days. That was, you don't want to go back to that. This is what God is trying to demonstrate to the individuals and saying, okay, I understand this long trek is not to your liking. I understand living in a tent. I understand eating this dry manna or quails and just, just sort of like desert food is not the best. But you're with me. You're with your kin. You are on your way to the land that I have promised to pray for. In fact, they had already had an encounter with the Canaanites, and they were victorious. 
They had even had a little victory there. And yet, that wasn't good enough for them. They thought Moses was trying to kill them. They thought God, Moses and God are complicit in their destruction. And if they had put things into perspective, they'd realize that their true destruction is where they came from. That was their true destruction. That was, that was going to be their demise. But now there's possibility. Now there might actually be a happy ending. So I invite us to think very seriously at this point in our lives of our need to make something out of nothing. Maybe that's just a human construct. I mean, I suppose we all do it. I do it too. I'm already upset about this supposed snow that we're supposed to be getting. I'm like, what? All the snow's melted away. The trails are drying off. I can, you know, the, the trees are ready to bring forth. What do you mean snow? Well, you know, who can I blame for this? <laughs> you know, I feel like here I am in my own way complaining against God. Why'd you have to make snow? Why'd you have to make snow on the 14th? I don't want snow on the 14th. God's like, you know, William, I don't think you understand what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> I admit the first one, I don't always understand what God is trying to do here because I'm always trying to create my own agenda. Always trying to create the, the world and the land that I want to live in, not the one that I presently live in. So there's not that much daylight between these Israelites and their complaining selves and my complaining self. When God establishes a covenant with us, the hope is, and this is just going on on a limb here, the hope is, is that we, as the people of God, would trust that. We trust that even though we don't have the immediacy of the understanding, that we don't see the end, that we don't know how it's going to conclude, that we truly do believe that if God's hand is involved in this venture, well, it would have to end well. And that it is our Duty is our privilege. It is our obligation to be able to stay tuned to see that unfold. And without that sort of active participation, that sort of enthusiasm, we will continue to manufacture unpleasantness along the way. And maybe when the, the blessing actually is, is right there before us, we won't recognize it. Maybe the time in the wilderness actually was the blessing. Being able to worship God along the way, discover things on the trip. There's two ways I've learned in the few road trips that I've taken in my life. There's two ways to road trip. There's the get in the car and drive like mad and caffeine yourself up and get to your destination, right? Just stopping for fuel, <laughs> right? There's, there's, there's the William Gentry way of traveling, which is most, I don't know, the wife doesn't like it. And then there's the, the large entryway, which is, hey, let's enjoy some things along the way. Let's stop and see the sights. You know, let's not push ourselves and drive ourselves to do 1,400 miles. Let's do maybe a good three or 400 miles and then check out what's, what's offering. I'm like, well, we have to get to our destination. She's like, yes, but there's things in between. <laughs> and it's those things in between that might actually add to a cheerful disposition or, or elicit some new idea, some new thought. See, we are always people along the way, and if the only thing that we can see is where we've left and where we're going and, and, and not and try to cut out the middle ground, we are going to miss a tremendous amount of learning material that God has fashioned for us. If God wants us to quantum leap 
you know, and, and materialize and just, just, just wake up in the morning and our feet hit this, this little portal on the floor and the next thing we manifest right here in church and then manifest at the shops or manifest over across the seat so you can see your daughter. <laughs> I mean, you know, if, 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 if that was how we were supposed to, to roll, God said, yeah, I, I'll give you that technology. But no, we got to hoof it in between points and locations. And there's a lot of stuff that happens in between those points and locations that adds and contributes to who we are as individuals. So what God wants these individuals to do and wants us to understand and to appreciate is that, yes, we have a destination, and that's good. That's a blessing. To, have, to know where you're going is a tremendous blessing. I would say there's a fair amount of individuals who don't even have that. So just to, to have a destination in mind is a good thing. But to not, to not, how do I phrase this? To not discredit and devalue the space in between those two points. They were no longer slaves in Egypt, but yet they were also not at the place that was prepared for them. They were in that in-between space, and that in-between space is better than where they were. It's not perfect. It's not ideal. But it was better than where they were. And it will be not as great as where they are going. But God wants them to be present with the divine will and purpose right where they are at. And not to look around and say, well, this isn't very good sort of that initial shock when we get, when we, uh, we see the price that we're paying for the hotel room and then we see the room that we just paid for and we go, oh, those, those, that doesn't add up. <laughs> I think I paid more th than this room is saying I paid, I should have paid for it. We all had that sticker shock, right? You're one of the issues where you're back down to the front counter, you say, I think, I, I think this has been a mistake. <laughs> I, I think you gave me the wrong room because I paid for bridal suite, but I got scum. So... We need to settle up here. And they go, well, all rooms look like that. <laughs> and so there's that, there's that initial shock that we have. But as people of God, we are encouraged to be and invited to be more flexible and more amenable than we, than we presently are. So I want you all to really meditate and reflect upon what this time in this space has been for you. We've all been stressed and tested in incredible ways. And some of us are wishing that we could go back to some sort of former enslavement of mind where, we, where it looked good, we thought it was good, and maybe it wasn't. Because I always think that what lies ahead has to truly be better than where we've been. It has to be. I mean, that's just how... It's just how humans are wired. They're always wired to want to learn from our mistakes and to fashion a better, a better end. Doesn't necessarily mean like a series of better products because materialism is, is what it is. But I'm talking about a better attitude, a better mindset, a better framework. This is what this story is telling to me is that God's like, can't you have a better attitude? Can't you recognize how much ground that we have covered together? Can't you see the blessings that have happened along the way and stop looking at what you would think is miserable? That's nothing. That's, you're focusing on the wrong things. Focus on the fact that you are free. Focus on the fact that you are blessed. Focus on the fact that you have food in your belly. Focus on the fact that you have a tent over your head. Focus on the fact that you are free to worship me. 
There's nobody who's saying that you cannot. You have that liberty. You have that agency. Focus on those things, and you will not feel the hot wind or the sun beating down on you. Or you will not get tired that the menu hasn't changed. The food will taste different because you will recognize that you are eating it as a free person. You're eating as a person who has been blessed, who has not been forgotten. So we need to wrestle with the things that we still count as miserable. The individuals we still want to blame for our misfortunes. The manufactured grievances that give us some sense of comfort just for the moment. We need to go back and we need to ask ourselves, are these things even legitimate or is this just some tale that I'm telling myself to elevate my status over someone else or over something else or to give myself a, a little ego boost? We tell ourselves a great many myths, but I don't know if they add up to a better disposition or if it just continues to mire us down in our own fiction. So God, please do not send serpents to us, but inoculate us all with perhaps a little more self-awareness, a little more authenticity, and help us to recognize when we're just being deceitful, deceiving ourselves and missing the greater blessing. Amen. This is the covenant prayer.
As we enter into our time of prayer, the prayer concerns for this week are Curtis Marthaler, which is Jeannie Kruger's brother, and both Roger Dran and Owen Detman. Owen Detman will be having a back procedure on Wednesday, and Roger Dran also is scheduled for a procedure for his back, though I do not know the date of that. Curtis is having some neurological uh, issues which are being addressed by his healthcare team. So we lift these individuals up as well as others that we hold in our hearts. Let us pray. We set ourselves before you this morning, God, that we would be honest about our foolishness. We, we read about the Israelites and we hear about them complaining and we say to ourselves, well, they don't have anything to complain about. They're free from, from slavery. But by comparison, I'm sure that we could find ourselves complaining and being disagreeable about a whole number of issues that really don't have any bearing and they're just talking points and fodder for social media. Uh, but it's not going to actually add any satisfaction to our lives. Unless we are willing to accept where you are leading us. And maybe that's the question. Maybe we don't know. Maybe we don't think you're leading us anywhere, and so therefore we're just like lost. And we're lost because we don't want to ask for directions. We have given up. And that is a, a concern also. But you always know the way. We don't always know the way. I ask for prayers on Curtis, Roger, and Owen, that in each instance you would bring healing to those who are afflicted. We all know that And physical and mental health is in the balance. We don't feel nor seem ourselves. We are impaired, cannot live as effectively, cannot serve, cannot move, constantly fixated by the pains that pull us back to what's not right in us. We pray for those receiving treatments, receiving treatments for cancer. We ask that you would guide everyone in each instance, that not only do they trust the process, but that they would trust in you and the developments that are being made. Trust in the ability for the body given the right conditions to heal, 
to be rejuvenated. We pray for our spiritual institutions, which have taken a, a hit And there's a consciousness shift right now, conversation that is unfolding as to the validity of these institutions. This is a conversation that, of course, obviously is important to me. I can only trust, Lord, that if there is anything noble in the church, that you will teach it to us if it be your will that the church universal even endures, that you will teach that to us, that you would inspire us once again that these are noble pursuits and that we would re-engage with a different attitude. Because part of my prayer is that I don't want church the way it was. I don't think it was effective. I, I think it was just social hour. So if it is be your will that you are going to rebirth the church universal and first congregational in particular, then give us something to fixate upon because there's been a lot of serpents of misinformation that have bitten our heels and we are dying. We're certainly dying metaphorically. Maybe we're dying literally. Maybe that's what people want. But if you think it's going to rise from the ashes like the phoenix without a change of attitude, well, you're just as confused as those individuals were in the wilderness. Why don't you speak to us plain words? Tell us to stop deceiving ourselves. Help us to realize that either the stuff that we glean from the scriptures, that there's something to it, and therefore we need to pursue it, or it's all stuff and nonsense. And if it's stuff and nonsense, then, well, for those who believe that, they can get out of the way, and for those who believe it is truly the power of God, life-saving, life-redeeming, then stand up and take the bounty. We have manufactured grievances that have kept us away from those institutions that have breathed life into us. And maybe it is time for a reckoning. Maybe it is time for us to say, I was doing it wrong. I didn't understand. I thought it was all about me. And then we realized it wasn't. It was part of this covenantal agreement that God had made with us and one another. And at some point, we just gave up. We walked away and didn't miss it. So for those of us who are still in the wilderness, for those of us who want to complain, for those of us who would rather go back to enslavement rather than hope and promise, rather than a promised land, 
rather than a new condition. Speak to us. Speak to us, God. Speak to each and every one of us. Maybe then we will get closer to the kind of church that you have always fashioned us to be. Hear our prayers as we set them before you in Jesus' name. giving you thanks and praise for receiving these, the prayers of your people. Collect them into your care. Let your blessing fall upon us as we join together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You'll notice that your hymnals are back in the pews. So today, in anticipation of our covenant, let's join together in our church covenant found in our hymnals. We covenant with the Lord and with one another and do bind ourselves in the presence of God to walk together in his holy ways. We will strive to be doers of the word and not hearers only, to be firm in faith, quickened in hope, and constant in charity. And we will consecrate our time, talent, substance, and influence as heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Loving and most merciful God, giving you thanks and praise for the honesty that you pour into us Mostly it's an honesty that we can be frank with ourselves and to trust that as you teach us about ourselves, we will, we will learn and, and feel not admonished, but empowered to step forward in a new likeness. Uh, for those burdens that we still carry, those burdens that pursue us, help us to try to relinquish them to you, help us to trust you enough that you can lighten this burden, or at least teach us how to bear it gracefully. And may we renew this covenant with you as we ready ourselves to receive this Holy Communion. On the night in which Jesus was betrayed, he celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. He took bread, blessed it, broke it. He says, this is my body which has been given for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. Together they shared the cup. He says, this is the cup of the new covenant, my blood shed for the remission of sins. As often as we do drink of this cup and eat the bread, we do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. We receive the cup of salvation. Let us pray. Beloved and most merciful God, thank you for your consecration 
for your absolution, for your enduring patience. Help create for us a new landscape of thought and idea, one that is not, shall we say, fueled by social media outrage and lackluster opinions and strange notions that we tell ourselves or feel good stories and all that manufactured stuff. But speak to us plainly through your gospels. Remind us once again that our focal point is Christ and that in him and through him we are renewed, lifted up, sustained, and that by coupling ourselves to his personage, we will be so much more pleasant to be around. Let us remember that now and always. Amen.
Please rise for the blessing. And now, with confidence in your heart that God indeed has established a covenant with you, with the enthusiasm that only God can cultivate, and a conscience has been maintained and soothed by the companionship of the Holy Spirit, bolstered by the grace of Christ, go forth into the world and to know that God guides, sustains. Do not be frustrated that the journey takes so long. Savor the things that God teaches you along the way. Go in peace. Serve the Lord.